Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, and welcome to episode 151 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about Seaver's disease. We're going to be talking about how it differs from other heel related issues. We'll be talking about what Seaver's disease is, who gets it, what the symptoms are, and we'll talk about some evaluation pearls on how to differentiate it from other heel problems and also how to treat it. But before we get started, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. A good night's sleep is what everybody needs. Fresh rest bedding will keep you comfortable all night. Our advanced textiles and weave wicks moisture and also regulates body temperature. This design, coupled with our all-natural organic antimicrobial, eliminates 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria, as well as dust mites, which are an allergen to many. Because our bedding stays fresh longer, it is eco-friendly, as it only requires washing once a month on average. This bedding is also known for its incredible softness. Our antimicrobial is all-natural and organic. No metals, waxes, chemicals, or nanos. Our sheets will never leach onto or into your skin ever. These sheets are safe for your entire family. Fresh Rest is designed and engineered by Maine Lee Technology Group, based in Wells, Maine, and our sheets are made for the USA. Fresh Rest Bedding is only available for purchase through our e-commerce website by visiting freshrestbedding.com. Once again, that's freshrestbedding.com. Welcome back. So, First of all, before we get started today, my most sincere apologies for all of those of you who were trying to listen to the TFCC podcast that I had put up and accidentally uh, put up an old episode where the um, title was for TFCC injuries. So we have that corrected. So if those of you who are interested in TFCC, please make sure you go over to that. We have that all lined up for you and ready to go. And uh, hopefully we won't have that happen again. So first of all, let's start off with this today. Nothing scares a parent more than telling their child they have Seaver's disease. As soon as you throw the word disease in there, watch out. Everything goes crazy, okay? So, you know, watch out when you're talking to people, parents, uh, children about, you know, things with scary terminology in it. So I do have a podcast about scary terminology. Make sure you check that out. And um, we have some pointers on how to make things a little more comfortable for people when they come into the clinic and when we are talking to them about their diagnoses or their injuries. So what is Seavers? Seavers is when your calcaneus, where it has a growth plate, just like other you know bones in your body, uh, and, and the calcaneal apophysis, which is the growth plate, exists more toward the back, okay? So people think this is right directly under the heel. Well, it's kind of underneath the heel and a little posterior and this can best be seen in an x-ray, and it looks like there's a fracture there. If you, if you x-ray these young people uh, with Seavers, you'll think that the, the heel is fractured. Um, but it's very important that you compare the x-rays to the other foot just to see uh, what that looks like and uh, just to make sure there isn't a gross abnormality there. But really, most people with Seavers don't require diagnostic imaging unless there's been some sort of trauma there. So what happens? You know, wh why do you get it? Well, this growth plate, it can be aggravated in a couple ways. Number one, by direct trauma. So, you know, walking on hard surfaces, maybe getting kicked in the back of the heel, 
Um, up here in northern Maine, we've seen this classically when uh, people are playing soccer. You know, we could get a really wet season and cleats sink into the ground really well because we don't have uh, a lot of turf up here. And when that heel sinks in, it absorbs a lot of shock. And uh, that's great. You know, not as much irritation to for shin splints and for heel problems. But then when we have a really dry year like we do this year, um, people come out of the woodwork with Seaver's disease and shin splints. Um, it's just amazing when the ground is really, really hard and they're playing on that. Uh, the other thing to look at is, you know, uh, are the cleats you know giving enough support and sometimes cleats are quite thin on the bottom and can be a little aggravating the second reason there could be some sort of aggravation to the growth plate is from tensioning in opposite directions okay so if you take a look at the anatomy of the foot and ankle the plantar fascia attaches on the plantar surface of the foot uh, at the calcaneal tubercle the plantar calcaneal tubercle and the gastroxoleus attaches posteriorly at the heel on the other side of the apophysis and so when your calf is tight and or contracting against the plantar fascia which is contracting they're both pulling against the heel and that can be um, you know separating that growth plate a little bit and causing a lot of tension and that seems to be one of the biggest factors now who gets this who gets Seaver's disease this usually occurs in in children that are 12 9 to 12 years old we see it definitely more in males than females and it's about 60 percent of the people who have Seaver's will develop this bilaterally um, usually we see this in athletes, but not only in athletes, you know, people who are just active and the growth plate is inflamed and, and maybe they're walking on hard surfaces uh, and this becomes really inflamed. We see it a lot in, in runners and jumpers especially. So what are some of the risk factors? Well, overuse, you know, people who just do one sport uh, oftentimes can end up with these overuse type problems. So there has been some kind of change in the way that um, people are looking at sports now in the future and that, you know, two and three sport athletes may fare better in the future than one sport athletes, especially if they're doing it all year round. You know, poor shoe wear can also be a contributing factor. And the next one, which I think is a, is a real big factor, is the inflexible calf. Uh, you know, having a really tight calf is going to pull on the backside of the heel. And uh, that fascia is pulling in the opposite direction, like we just talked about, and causing a lot of irritation. You end up spending a little more time on the forefoot. And naturally, they'll go more on the forefoot only because the heel hurts so bad that they don't want to bear weight on the heel or they don't want to heel strike. So that calf ends up becoming tighter and tighter and tighter and uh, just causing more irritation we see this in both people with pes cavus um, the high arch and people with pes planus so you're like well that's just about everybody out there well with pes cavus it seems to agitate folks more with heel striking um, and with pes planus what happens is the calcaneus drops into eversion and when it does that, it strains the Achilles and pulls on it a lot more. And uh, because some of the fibers of the Achilles attach a little more medially, and uh, that can certainly be a contributing factor. So, you know, let's talk about the evaluation now. 
Usually, these young folks will complain of posterior heel pain and pain in the the plantar and posterior aspect of the heel. They can have it in both areas. It can sometimes present with some swelling in that area and usually gets worse with activity and better with rest. And it's like a roller coaster ride. You know, they take a couple days off from playing sports. They feel better. They go out and practice and it flares right back up again. So diagnostic imaging is usually not necessary with people with SIVRS, um, unless there's some sort of significant trauma associated with it, or if they are resting and they're not getting any real good relief. So the patient will also be very tender near the Achilles insertion and the posterior and plantar surface of the heel. These folks will have a hard time you know, standing on their tiptoes and also just bearing weight on the heel alone, especially the posterior aspect of the heel. If it's fairly inflamed, they'll have some discomfort when you passively dorsiflex the foot or an ankle because you're obviously you're pulling on that Achilles, which is going to cause some irritation back there. But for me, the big diagnostic, you know, test that I like to do is the squeeze test where you basically cup your hands so that your fingers are around the Achilles tendon and you have, you know, your thenar eminence on one side is touching the medial heel, the thenar eminence on the other side is touching the other heel and you squeeze that heel um, toward the center. And so you're not even touching the back of the heel, you're not touching the bottom of the heel, but you're giving it a little squeeze there. Now, people with plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis do not have pain with the squeeze test. People who have stress fractures and sievers have pain with the squeeze test. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it is important that you do that in helping to differentiate sievers from other problems out there. Um, you generally don't see sievers in, uh, in adults. So if somebody comes in and they're 25, 30, 40 years old and they have this heel pain and you do a squeeze test, you need to be somewhat concerned. It's possible that they have a fracture, a stress fracture. They could have calcaneal uh, apophysitis and, and irritation to the periosteum. And um, so that is something to take into consideration when you're evaluating your patients, if they're adolescents or adults. Um, so check that out next time you treat your patient. So how do you treat this? Well, this is the hard part, okay? You know, Seaver's disease is a self-limiting problem. And basically, it's about getting some rest. But unfortunately, like Osgood Slaughter's, you know, these young people are very, very active and they want to continue to be active. They want to play sports. They want to run around. They want to jump. They want to, you know, do all this stuff. And it's hard to slow them down. But sometimes you just absolutely have to. Now, some people have such severe pain that, you know, doing whatever soft tissue modalities and resting is just not helping, but they still are walking around a little bit. A walker boot can be helpful for a short period of time. I definitely wouldn't do this for very long, but I probably would do it for about two weeks or so and really let that heel settle down. So they are weight bearing, but you're not getting that passive dorsiflexion and you're not getting, uh, you're getting the rocker bottom part of the boot that is helping to compensate uh, for the lack of ankle motion. So they can still be fairly functional but allow the heel uh, to rest a little bit. So I think that is very important, especially if they are severe. Now, shoe wear is important. You know, shoe wear and good insoles. I find that people will do well when they have something that is a little softer in the heel, and um, but not so soft that the heel wobbles back and forth. I think it's very important that the heel and calcaneus area stay stabilized as much as possible. 
And then you also want to support the arch, right? Because if that plantar fascia is collapsing, if the, the foot is collapsing and the fascia is stretching, that's going to cause a lot of pull at the calcaneal tubercle and cause some irritation. So I like to use an accommodative type of insert. I don't really get into custom orthotics with uh, people of this age, uh, only because they're going to outgrow them really quickly. And uh, usually this is a temporary problem. They don't need this for long term. So uh, we'll use a, a softer type of orthotic uh, to help give a little bit of our support and also cushion the heel and stabilize it all at the same time. These folks can use ice for pain, especially after activity. And, um, you know, teaching proper stretches to the for the Achilles is important. Also, you can even, you know, massage or try to improve the plantar fascia mobility so that it is not stretching so hard on the calcaneus uh, when they're functioning. Some non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can obviously help to keep the inflammation um, settled down a little bit. And, you know, having that, um, that conversation with a parent or guardian about continuation of sports or, and or some sort of a modification in exercise level is very, very important, okay? And I really try to teach this here. You know, I, I tell young people and their parents, because sometimes we all know it, uh, the parents can be uh, just as bad as the children when it comes to playing sports and not wanting to slow down and trying to be the best. And, you know, when you're uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, you, you're not, you know, at the World Series and you're not in an NBA playoff game. Uh, it is, you know, I try to teach them, you know, rest now and be better later. And you can always encourage them and say, you know, this will settle down. Seavers always gets better, you know, conservatively. And uh, really, it's a matter of just letting it settle down, decreasing the inflammation, improving the mobility, and then properly strengthening around the foot and ankle, around the knee and hip, and, uh, you know, slowly getting them back on track. The other way I help to encourage them is I tell them, listen, we're going to stop you from running and jumping and doing those high impact activities. But really, really going to push you hard with cardio, stationary biking. You know, we're going to do some core stabilization and all these other non-irritating activities, you know, so that they can stay in the exercise mode, keep their mind into it and, um, you know, and stay conditioned. So that's very important. Um, and so education is the key to optimal recovery when it comes to treating Seaver's disease. So, folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, stay tuned because we have lots more to come. Send me your ortho-related questions uh, for the show, and I'll be more than happy to put them on the show and uh, have a talk about them and uh, hopefully answer your questions. I definitely get a lot of emails from folks, um, and so uh, I will do my very best to uh, continue to answer as many questions as I can. And be sure to check out our links in the show notes for access to everything ortho eval pal from live courses and webinars to online coaching and more uh, again folks thank you so much for listening to uh, the ortho eval pal show take care we hope you've enjoyed the show for some more awesome content go to OrthoEvalPal.com. can't wait to see you there